0: Liam is an advocate for pre-service and beginning teachers in Australia. So after seeing many of his peers choose to leave their careers in teaching, Liam created an initiative um, to put an end to what the media has deemed teacher drought. And Prac e was uh, founded in 2017 by Liam and hosted its very first teacher symposium event at QUT to 400 plus beginning teachers. From there, Prac e symposiums and its digital media sparked collegiality within the Australian beginning teacher community and with this momentum Liam went on to advocate for beginning teachers with a feature on uh, the ABC News and special guest appearance on education podcasts in US and Australia with his time as an academic researcher at QUT and student rep for masters in education cohort at UQ. Are you still currently the rep Kit Liam?
1: I think so. Okay, yeah. I think he could probably still
0: define me. So he's, he's probably the rep right now for you guys as well. So Liam looks to use his experience to support beginning teachers in Australia in the future. And I'm very, very proud to introduce uh, Liam to all of you today to share his story with you. And he's an excellent case study. Like I, w- I won't say his case study, but then again, his story is truly inspirational. Liam, over to you.
1: Oh wow, what an introduction. Well hello everybody and um, I deliberately joined um, early today just to get a gauge on what you're talking about and uh, I've been noting down some things that you were saying and um, I could agree 100% with some of the things, especially um, Sophia when you were talking about teachers actually being respected, fancy that, you know being respected as professionals. And, um, and Wendy, always bringing the positivity back. I love that. Sometimes teaching can be um, a little bit negative sometimes. And I really liked what you said about um, students always being the, the focus. Sometimes I think um, an old saying I always hear in education is nothing is worse than a room full of teachers talking about teaching. Sometimes we lose sight of what we're actually trying to achieve. So I like that you brought it back to the students as well, so where to begin? I think um, thank you so much for having me. I think it's a, it's a real honour to to come in and, and have a talk to you as you're studying your masters. It's uh, Sue sent through a, a profile of each of you uh, before, and uh, it actually made me more nervous than anything, Sue, <laughs> because um, it's it's really inspiring to see so many amazing leaders i think it's so so necessary and some of you have got decades of experience over me but what i'm going to do is is, is share um some things that i've found and hopefully you um you get something out of it tonight um, i don't mean to go over anyone's heads i'm sure you're uh, much more educated with uh, than me about a lot of things but i'll show you some things that i think um, are really interesting about education things that i found um so I think uh, I'll begin with talking about leadership in, in education quite generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think education along with be- maybe being a policeman and a nurse, <laughs> it's one of those old fashioned professions. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that the hierarchy of leadership is usually very, um, clean cut. You're a teacher and then you're a hod, then maybe you make a deputy and then hopefully you end up as a principal. Um, I'm not particularly going to be talking about that traditional hierarchy, today because I think it's well-formed and also on the other hand, I think it needs to be transformed. I think it really needs to be transformed. So instead, I'm going to be talking about how I attempted to transform education and maybe some things that we can think about in Australia and and around the world um, and things that I've noticed that do actually need to be changed for the better. So I might give a a pre warning that some of the things uh, I may look like Stuart little, (laughs) I'm sorry, Wendy, it may not be positive, but sometimes, some some things that I've seen um, may sound like the sky's falling in. Um, But I've done some research on some things that I was passionate about and what I found was truly shocking. Mm -hmm. I think education's pretty good at having the surface level of everything's fine. Um, But when I peeled back the cover, some things that I found particularly around beginning teachers um, was absolutely shocking. So I'll share some of those today and how I attempted to fix that. Um, so I, it may be a little bit uh, negative or, or I, you may think I'm catastrophizing at certain stages. So just a little pre-warning. So my contention today, basically what I, what I thought about, what do I say um, to these people, yeah. this, this group of, of leaders? Um, I want leaders to lead. Basic. That's my contention. I think in 2021, the education system that we have is, is absolutely just crying out, begging for innovative, transformative and inspiring leaders. However, I think the system and how it's made at the moment doesn't allow us to do that um, as good as it could be. So the way I see leadership is almost like you're in an abandoned Island. You've got the machete and you're chopping down the way through the vines so people can follow you and you're creating that change. So that's why I'm not really going to be talking about this traditional hierarchy that we have, because that's already formed. Mm-hmm. I think us, um, are, and With masters, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a master's degree to have a leadership position within a school. But Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we're here tonight talking about education means that we're not happy with the way things are. We want to make things better. We've seen something that needs to be changed and we want to be the leaders of that change. Mm -hmm. So that's my contention is that we need to lead. Leaders need to lead. Um, But the system is as it's set up currently makes it sometimes difficult to do that. So I'm going to talk about what I did to try and make the biggest impact in 2021 possible, even though sometimes the system was against me. And I'll mm. share some of those stories today. Mm. So when I talking about who am I, who is this young punk that's coming in here? That's, <laughs> that looks like he's still got acne on his face. That's still talking <laughs> about what it means to be a leader. Who is this kid? So Uh, In terms of formal hierarchies, I may not be the most experienced person in the world. This is my second year of full-time teaching, but I suppose my my greatest hits in educational leadership was this thing that I called Cracky. It's an initiative that I founded. (laughs) Cracky was a response to this this horrible kind of situation that I found myself in and and peers that my peers that I saw them in as well. And, Basically it was a, an extending of a hand to pre-service teachers. And then eventually it turned into beginning teachers and then teachers in general, we had teachers with 20, 30 years experience asking us questions. So it wasn't just me, it was um, my colleagues as well. And we had um, retired professionals with 50 years experience. And we had so many um, people actually jump on board. So I was kind of the the face of it. I, I suppose you want to say, but we had a team around us of teachers. It was like the the age of man. We had uni students on this side, all the way up to principals and uh, retired professionals kind of um, helping out. The main thing that we did was split into two. The first half of it was in-person symposium events. And that's what Sue talked about just before the, the one I held at QUT was actually 400 people turned up. That was our first one as well. So I was absolutely terrified. And then we hosted one at the University of Queensland as well, which was uh, also well attended. And our panel on that was fantastic. We had (laughs) early career teachers. We had principals. We had managers of good start early learning centers from all around Queensland. So we looked at um, early childhood, primary and secondary. And basically what these events were, was a uncensored access to real professionals that are in the classroom every single day. We got them up and as the students and beginning teachers and the audience entered, they were given a link. And that link was an anonymous forum where they could ask as many questions as possible. And those were sent to me as the host on stage uh, on an iPad. And you could also raise your hand if you wanted to do the old fashioned way. The first event, we got like 200, 300 questions, which said to me that people are desperate for something like this, an mm-hmm. uncensored forum where they could ask those little nitty-gritty questions that don't get covered in a unit or don't get covered in a lecture. Mm-hmm. So what do I do if a kid chucks a chair at me? Or why do my lessons keep going 15 minutes short, even though I've got you know a million resources? These little questions that probably caused the most stress when we went out on prac or in our first few years of the careers, but kind of don't really get mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm. That was
1: the whole, the whole point of it. And we got real professionals to just ask, ask us and answer, answer, mm-hmm. answer, answer. Mm-hmm. The second thing that we did was we really wanted to focus on 21st century communication techniques. So we filmed every single event that we did and posted it in their entirety up on YouTube for free for people that couldn't attend live. And then we also made vlogs, um, articles. We did a podcast. Uh, we had social media. We even started a TikTok account. We wanted to communicate in ways that our audience communicated with. So when you are up at 3 AM in the morning, the day before prac and you can't go to sleep, prac there for you. You can check out um, some of our videos that we made on things that caused the most stress. So that's basically what, what prac was. And, um, I've started a few endeavors in my life, most of which have, have crashed and failed quite quickly, but with Pracky, it was amazing about how much momentum it actually picked up some days where I didn't really focus on it and didn't have time. That was the day that we got, you know, tons more subscribers, or we got an email saying, oh, can you help me with this? Or there's this opportunity. So it was like a snowball. Eventually it picked up steam where stuff was happening all the time, even though I wasn't touching it. Mm. It eventually got to a stage where we were able to go and basically have a presence in America. We were able to get on this thing called the education podcast network. So in America, they have um, this, this network where a whole bunch of teachers do podcasts on a whole bunch of different um, topics. We're able to get on like four or five. And I looked at the stats and we actually had more engagement from America than in Australia. So we were kind of, I suppose the novelty of the accent maybe kind of helped me out a little bit, but that was an amazing thing that I sometimes had to pinch myself that was actually happening. Uh, like I said, we got hundreds of people to come to these events. Uh, we worked with the techie program and like the cherry on top was um, just as we paused for COVID, we won the ACEL award, so the Australian Council for Educational Leaders awarded us with the leadership award for educational research. So I suppose that gives me a little validity to talk to you tonight is, Mm. and it was the cherry on top. Obviously we don't go into it for awards, but that was a a fantastic honor to be able to get um, to say, to recognize Prakki for for what we had done and achieved. And then we also in 2020, we won the educator hot list from the educator publication. It basically awards big movers and shakers in education in Australia. So we won that as well. So that was kind of just as COVID hit and obviously you can't do events and things like that during COVID. So I've taken a little bit of a break at the moment, but that was just at the end, which has uh, made me it made me—I you know, feel so fantastic about what we'd, what we'd actually done. So at the moment, I'm a full-time secondary teacher at Wisdom College at Callum Vale. Um, there I teach English, film, uh, business, and humanities, and I'm also the head of student engagement, so I look after the the well-being of the students there, and uh, it's been fantastic to kind of put these things that I learned through Pracky into practice. Um, So I'm a full-time teacher um, at the moment, and basically what I believe in is that education needs a big shake-up. I think there's a lot of things like we talked about standardization in Australia before we always champion Singapore and Finland and countries like this as the gold standard yet. Sometimes I feel we do the exact opposite in Australia of, you know, we like in, inquiry based learning or student freedoms. And then we standardize the hell out of them in Australia and hit them with NAPLAN and things like that. So it's, so I think that we need a big shakeup, but sometimes um, the system, like I said, is, is kind of, pushed against people that want to make a change. So that's basically what I believe in. So let me go back to the very beginning about why Pracky started. It started because I saw the teacher profession dying in front of my eyes. I started a bachelor of education and uh, I was able to go out on practicum and I was at, um, Uh, school will remain nameless. I'll just say it's a rough school when we were going through in our shoots, what schools we're getting for prac. When I said mine, everyone laughed because it was the school that everyone was hoping they didn't get. Um, The only thing that popped up when I was doing some research about it was um, school fights on YouTube. And the only kind of positive that they had was that they had a, they now had a crash for the overflow of um, pregnant students that they had. So this was, and it's uh, from a really low socioeconomic area of Brisbane. So I was pretty nervous about going there. And the first lesson I taught there was an absolute disaster because I wasn't actually supposed to teach it. I went into the room and uh, the staff room at the beginning of the day and my mentor teacher said, hey, I've, I've got this conference I've got to go to, um, but go go with the class anyway because they've got a substitute teacher. And uni told us, never go to substitute teachers because um, as you know, substitute teach. I mean, when I was at school, we used to have a contest of who could make the substitute teacher cry first. <laughs> so sometimes substitute teachers have a really, really hard job. And uni said, don't go there, um, just stay with your mentor teacher. But my mentor teacher kind of sold it on me. She did a bit of a Jedi mind trick. She said that um, as a pre-service teacher, you're kind of on the same level as a, substitute teacher you're a random adult that's going into the room so don't do anything but but be a um but be uh be a a person in the back of the room basically um, and just see what happens so i went there and the substitute teacher rocked up and he was about 100 120 years old. <laughs> he, had a, he had a hunchback and, and he had a really, English was his second language. I'm pretty sure he was from Poland because he has the same or Germany because he had the same accent as my grandfather. And there was a real big um, language gap. And he said in, in re- a really thick accent, I was struggling to understand. him. he said, are you a teacher? Are you a teacher here? And I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm a pre-service teacher. And I think the only word he understood was teacher because he went, oh, okay. And he gave me all the resources and just left. And I was left with 30 kids and I didn't know where student services were. I didn't know the other teachers around me. I didn't know um, who to call. And this was already about 10 to 15 minutes into the lesson. The kids were up on the desk talking about the weekend, talking about the rugby game that they went to. And I had this like fight or flight response. And what I did was basically went, okay, kids, I'm your teacher for today. I'm Mr. A, come inside. And I basically just improv the lesson. That was my first experience teaching. And I looked down at my, the stuff that he had given me. And it was about that much writing on a piece of paper about um, persuasive speaking. And this was the first um, time, year seven, English, first time they've ever done persuasive speaking ever. So <laughs> what a great introduction. But I broke that sentence, that paragraph, I broke it down sentence by sentence. I did activity after activity, group discussions. All right, kids, you teach me about um, this content. What do you know before? And, and um, I meant it was a horrible lesson. The kids were talking the whole time, but I got through it the bell rung and it was like a saving grace. I was like, oh, thank God. I went back to the staff room and um, I told my mentor teacher and she was like, oh, that's a shame. Good job though. And then just kind of went and made a cup of coffee. That was it. And then I went to, um, I was paired with, there's only one other person from my uni at the time. And just one day um, he didn't rock up to prac. And I asked, uh, where's John gone? Um, He's not here anymore. And uh, one of the other teachers in the staff room said, Oh, I found him crying in the toilets last night and uh, last uh, yesterday. And uh, he dropped out last night. uh, I got, I heard from the uni, he's not coming anymore. And I was thinking back to the day before and I saw him walking away with that same substitute teacher that threw me under the bus. So I'm guessing that sub did the same thing to him. And he just went, obviously had a horror lesson like I did, and then blamed himself. He said, probably said to himself, you know, teaching is not for me. Look, this is my first experience and the kids ran all over me. This is horrible. And he dropped out. So we lost a teacher to the profession and I never saw him again. Um, what happened to the sub? I don't know. I don't think, I think he was just kind of like a local guy. They called in sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't much accountability at the school. I went there again, six months later and there were only three staff members that were still there. So there was just a, it was a revolving door of teachers, basically. They either got um, transferred away or just quit. So it wasn't really a, a place of great accountability, I suppose. And this, and then when I went back after this prac, we went to uh, this massive lecture theater where we're all supposed to kind of debrief and my cohort had halved. When I began, we filled the biggest auditorium and we actually had to have spillover rooms that live-streamed the lectures. At this one, we barely filled it by half. And then the next week I went to a lecture and it was compulsory to rock up and I counted. There was eight people, including myself, which was basically the first front row Mm -hmm. of a lecture theater that sat about 450 people. So, and then thousands and thousands of people were there on day one of year one. And I think only about 80 people graduated with me in my cohort. So you can see the debilitating dropout rate. Now I wanted, this was kind of the start of Pracky and my start of my, this process that I wanted to look at. So I did some research about what the hell is happening. And it turned into this thing called drought and burnout is what I called it. And I'll share some of what I found. This is my sky is falling in moment. So basically this teacher drought is, is what it's called in the media is, is caused by ambiguity. No one really knows what's going on. We hear about it. We hear statistics thrown around, but no one has really done some thorough research on what actually is happening in Australia. When I did it, I felt like a, like I felt like I was the first one that had ever done it because there wasn't, there was some uh, journal articles about it, but no one had really encapsulated it and presented. This is actually the situation as it is. So with um, with beginning teachers, the statistic that's thrown around a lot is 62% of beginning teachers in the first five years of their careers quit the profession altogether. So the majority, so 62%. But that's kind of a bit of a, A general statistic, you need to look at it a little bit closer. That's what my research project was all about. So a guy called Sucha, he, he did a little bit of a research on this. He defined it as a national crisis, a national crisis. So I began with year 12s. Year 12s that are now who elects to choose a Bachelor of Education when they leave school? Since 2016 in Victoria, it's gone down 40%. So from 2016 to now in Victoria, the number of year 12s that choose education has gone down 40%. Queensland's a little bit better. Ours is 26%. Now, some unis in Brisbane, I won't say whom, but there was one university that saw a 44 drop, 44% drop in the Bachelor of Education uh, since 2016. So since 2016, 44% drop of number of students who choose a bachelor of education now another study found that the people that do pick education only do education as a alternative preference so when they preference what degrees they want to do the vast majority of people that do education have uh from their second third or fourth preference because they didn't have enough uh high enough op or atar to get actually get into the degree that they wanted then also The students who actually get through it and graduate, half of them, 50% are international students who cannot legally teach in Australia. So let's look at these people that actually get through it, actually get through it. The Australian students that actually get through it, graduate and then choose to become teachers. So that small percentage, that sliver, 60% of them quit within the first five years. And the the biggest mark is this two and a half year mark. So two and a half years into their careers is the biggest percentage. So about 62% of them quit. Not only that, but there's a researcher, researchers called Gallant and Riley. This was shocking. I had to read this about 10 times over because I didn't believe it. They found that half of the time when a young teacher quits teaching from a school, so 50% of the time, another early career teacher follows them and quits also. So I'll say that again, an early career teacher, when they quit half the time, 50% of the time, according to Gallant and Riley, another young teacher in that very same staff room quits the profession as well. Mm. And not only is that in Australia, but it's a global issue. The exact same statistics are in China, they're in England, they're in the United Kingdom, they're felt all over. Um, in England, the population has been exploding. It's been absolutely exploding. However, the number of teachers in England has stagnated and has not moved since 2011. 2011, there hasn't been more teachers. In fact, in Australia, every year for over a decade, more teachers have been quitting the profession than joining it. Now, you can't blanket uh, this, these statistics in general Um, So for example, in primary schools, there's actually in city areas, there's actually an overpopulation of generalist primary teachers. There's too many of them in the cities. And in secondary, it's all uh, based around subject. So there's an oversaturation of humanities and English, and there's an under, uh, it's under in, in it science, maths, and geography. Um, But The biggest thing that we see in Australia is teachers in rural Australia. 80% of teachers that go out and teach in the country return straight back to the city or quit the profession entirely. So only, you know, the small sliver that actually go out and and work in rural Queensland, 80% of them come back. So that's the research that I did um, in terms of what's happening at the moment in For teachers and what this teacher drought actually is, and I wanted.
0: Sorry, Liam, can I uh, I just ask when you did? uh, I remembered you doing a literature uh, review uh, project with Tisha. Was that uh, part of? uh, Was this part of your uh, literature uh, project? Yes,
1: yes, this is the the stuff that I found when I was kind of I I peeled it back and actually wanted to find some because I knew it it was happening in general, but I wanted to find some concrete statistics around is it true? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, the next step was that I wanted to know why, why is this actually happening? What's so bad about teaching that so many people are quitting. So my contention is that teachers at the moment aren't being supported by their leaders and mm-hmm. are being supported by their schools. So another experience that I had was at another school and I was given a, a lesson to teach. And this was the first lesson where the kids had, um, come back from camp. So they'd come back from camp for three or four days. And my lesson was the very first lesson where they were all together again in a room. And of course, what do kids want to do? They want to talk about what happened on camp. Oh, remember that when that happened? Remember when that happened? And then it was chaos from the very beginning. And that was when they were lining up. So I went into the room and there was a class in there already. I opened the door and there was like these older year, year 11s and they all kind of just all turned towards me. And the teacher in there was just like, oh, I'm in here. Didn't really help at all. So I was like, okay, let's uh, let's go find another classroom. So I pulled up the, the school's email in the morning. and it's, There was like a, an email that had been sent about 10 minutes earlier saying that I was in R207. So I go, oh, okay. So, all right, kids, let's go. And the teachers that, that in here know that by the time you have to move room, your class is done. The kids are just change of scenery. It's all over. So I was like, okay, let's go. And, uh, I took the kids and they're pushing each other into the bushes. They're running around. Finally we get to R207 and I open the door and there's a class in there as well. And the teacher in there was just like, Oh, I'm in here again. Doesn't help at all. So I go, okay. All right. So I'm standing there and I don't know the school really. This is my first few weeks there. I had no idea what was going on. So I just, uh, I took them to the library. I had no idea what else to do. So I went to the library and the librarian was really annoyed. She said, I've got no room for these kids. So I was like, Oh, okay. Can we, is there any space I can take? Oh, I suppose I can get this room for you. And she was really like really annoyed by it. So eventually we got back in there and I went to the mentor teacher and I told them this whole saga and my mentor teacher went, you know, sometimes it's valuable for beginning teachers just to do what they're told. And then she just walked off. So that story kind of summarizes that a lot of the time young teachers, we're just told to shut up basically. And that if we question anything, a lot of the time we just get, you know, we are said that we are arrogant or you're some young kid. What do you know? Now, when I did my research, there was a researcher that some summarized it beautifully for me for uh, Le Master and Paré from 2010. Their quote was only in education is a rookie expected to take the place of a veteran and expected to perform at the exact same level. Mm-hmm. So, some 40 year old, uh, veteran. So someone that's been teaching for 30, 40 years retires. They hire someone out of university or a beginning teacher. Um, sometimes they're just expected to just produce at the same level. Oh, take this class, take this class, take this class. Uh, good job. Um, see how you go.
0: But, but I think Liam, one of the keys mm. to remember is also, it's <clears throat> probably where you're, uh, the school that you're where you're at, mm. uh, Is also the structure and the processes that is in place. Yes. So we we are just chatting within the chats right now about um, teachers taking the lead in Mm. in kind of leading change. So and I think you're an exemplary model for that because you know after your research, after what you've done, you've had your peers, um, you know the the whole idea of burnout and dropout. And one of the things that I wanted to just interject right now into tell uh, the class is also this when I teach the bachelor's course one of the key things that um, my constant and messaging to the bachelor's students is, is this if you've if you just begun this journey into teaching and if you feel that you know you're it is something you you you've been this you are this illusion even before going in full t- full time into the classroom you need to think what is it that is uh, what is it about this fraternity or this profession that you are disillusioned by so you need to find yourself within this so th- th- that's where when we started the course we started the whole I, understanding of yourself and your frame and what you believe and what you what your values are
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. There are some schools, now don't get me wrong, there's always yeah. schools that do it fantastically. Yeah. Um, and some I've heard of some peers who have had an absolutely fantastic time.
0: Yeah. But
1: um, as you can see from the statistics, sometimes the, it's almost up to chance that yeah. by, by luck you get one of these amazing schools. Mm-hmm. So when I looked into how um, it can be improved, so at the moment I think there's countless hoops for beginning teachers to jump through uh saw in the chat people talking about the eight standards so we've got the eights standards um i've heard of sometimes that those standards aren't particularly adhered to within schools i mean sometimes if you look at them on pen and paper they can look like a great thing but i've heard one of my peers um never even made a portfolio and her teacher was just like uh oh yeah you're you're good at that and they just signed the piece of paper so not all the time are they actually adhered to um, And then we had the land height test. So even though we're doing a a degree at university, we had to prove that we could write, which kind of seemed a little bit strange. Uh, We've got endless prac and assignments. And the thing about that is that there's absolutely no room for failure at all. If you fail one thing, uh, you have to do it again or you get uh, pushback. There's no kind of real space to experiment. And so beginning teachers are absolutely uh, terrified of failing. There was a qualitative... Qualitative study around beginning teachers and the main um, the main uh, adjectives that came through when they were describing this process was inadequate, vulnerable, and insecure. That was the main the three words that came from beginning teachers, and I believe it's from this thing called satisfice. Now, satisfice is the temporary but unofficial solutions from beginning teachers to solve problems. So nothing formal that comes from schools, um, but something that unofficially that they've gone, okay, uh, this is an emergency. All right, let me just, uh, this works. So it, it might be, it's kind of like a, when you've got a new class and you raise your voice, it's the first time when you shout at your kids and they go, oh my God, uh, that's a temporary solution. But it, as you we know, that's, uh, that loses its efficiency. And the thing about unofficial solutions is that it's like a house of cards it kind of piles up and piles up and piles up until eventually it crumbles down and people feel burnt out that these unofficial solutions that they had been making don't actually fit anymore because they that's the very nature of them they are unofficial they don't come from schools themselves um and then there's also uh, uh, sometimes they uh, beginning teachers uh, feel a little bit of a, a reality shock when they get into the day-to-day because they, fold, uh, they get this um, false sense of bravado because they've been with a mentor teacher this entire time. So as you can see, it's, it's a complicated issue. So what I tried to do was um, come up with Pracky. So what we did was we came up with the symposiums, these, these videos, uh, we came, we um we even made it on the news uh on abc on the abc news at prime time around the country there was a story about this whole thing particularly around um teaching in in the country and um they big microphone went right into my face they said what would you talk what would you say to the education minister and i kind of froze, I was like i don't know it's so it's so complicated it's like do you have five hours to talk about this um so what uh so what I thought with Pracky was that we would be the cherry on top basically that, um that we would kind of, like I said, the tiny little questions before you go out on prac. So why is it, what do I do if this happens? But there was one question from symposium three where uh, a girl said uh, on my last prac, I was in the staff room and my mentor teacher said to me, Oh, get out while you still can. Why would you ever why would you ever be a teacher ever? This is the worst type of job. And there was just it was toxic within the staff room. Mm-hmm. And she said, Why should I become a teacher? That's the question she asked to the panel. And mm-hmm. to me, is why should I become a teacher? And mm-hmm. in live, I kind of had a realization that Pracky. What I initially thought was the cherry on top was actually the whole Sunday for some people. They needed us not just to help them out quickly, but they wanted us to give them reassurance that teaching is actually a great profession and that you should be doing it, which Mm -hmm. is a mammoth issue to actually try and and, uh, appease. How do you try and say to someone that their life decision is actually the right one to do? Mm -hmm. So it's a long way of saying, but my conclusion and and my contention is that when you go out as a leader within education, I want everyone to be extremely passionate about something. It doesn't have to be Pracky. It doesn't have to be a YouTube channel or even the events that I was doing, but I would encourage every single one of you to think about why you wanted to get into the masters of education in the very first place why what change did you want to make you can even think i used to think back to the teacher that made me feel like Mm -hmm. i wanted to become a teacher in the first place Um, i went back to what change did he make for me and never lose sight of that sometimes Mm -hmm. when we get hit with the day-to-day or we get hit with this this kind of (sighs) conservative kind of, I call it McDonald's education. Mm-hmm. A Big Mac tastes the same as it does in Brisbane, as it does in Perth. It's almost kind of what they want to do is everything should be the exact same. We've got c to c we've got a national curriculum. And, and like Wendy said, you, you, you lose that personal, that very personal relationship that you have with students. So I think that when you are leaders, you should think outside the box and think about what you can create that, is, is that change because sometimes the schools get hit with an oversaturation of voices saying, mm-hmm. do this, do that, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can turn to this administration.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think going back to what I said at the beginning, we need our leaders to lead. Mm-hmm. So we can't just do, leading is not doing what's always been done.
0: That's mm-hmm. the
1: whole definition of being a leader is that you need to think about new ways of going about things. Yeah. So I think our leaders need to lead if we're not happy with something that's happening within education, we need to need to do something about it and change it. And at the moment it might be around the edge. So like with Praki, something I did as a volunteer movement, it might be around the edge in the periphery, but I think that transformational leadership and, and trying to make something new Mm -hmm. is, is what I believe in. I think that's truly what leadership is all about.